so glad you could join us for mornings at YCVC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. Well, let's pray um, as we uh, explore God's word uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Though it was written thousands of years ago, that it remains living and active and relevant today. And so, Father, we pray that this morning as we come to your word, that, that you shape us, that you transform us, that you make us new in the reading and the exploring of your word. Mm. Father, anything that's not of you this morning as, we, uh, as I speak, I pray that that just blows away like chaff. But, but what is of you, Lord, I pray that would enter into our hearts, would find fertile soil and bear much fruit in our lives and overflow into the lives of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so after a break last week... Um, for our Kids Church Takeover, we're jumping back into uh, the fourth week of our Christology series, which uh, Christology um, in, in, in theological terms is the study of the, the person, the nature and the work of Jesus. Um, but what we're really doing in this series is, is seeking to explore, to fix our eyes on who Jesus is. And what he has done and, and what that means for us. And so each week as we've been going through this, uh, I've been saying, so what? What is the so what uh, of what we're learning about Jesus today? What, what does it actually mean for us uh, in this moment in our lives today? And, and so uh, as we journey towards Easter, we're fixing our eyes on Jesus um, and so just to recap, because we've had a break, uh, we're, we're exploring Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to, to 20 is kind of our template. We couldn't possibly say everything there is to say about Jesus uh, in a six-week, sorry, a five-week series. Um, and so we're just using that, that passage as our template. And so we've talked about Jesus being fully God, that he is the image of the invisible God, that, that when we want to see what God is like, we need only to look to Jesus. We've talked about Jesus being the one in whom all things were created, who holds all things together, and, and for whom all things were made. Uh, and our last message two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus being the head over everything, uh, authority over everything, but, but specifically the head of the church, because only the church is his body. And, and so if we pick up Colossians again, in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 15 to 18, we've covered some of this and, and we'll pick up the last part of that. The Son, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over creation. For in him all things were created, things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And so that's where we're picking up this morning, that, that kind of funny phrase. He is the firstborn from among the dead. 
the firstborn from among the dead. That's a, an unusual phrase. Uh, the, the core of the gospel is that Jesus died and that he rose again. And so here Paul's talking about uh, the resurrection, Paul who wrote this, this letter. Interestingly, he's mentioning the resurrection before the, the death of Jesus, which is what we're going to talk about next week. Of course, we, we, it makes sense that the death of Jesus came in time before the resurrection, but often in Paul's theology, the resurrection become, comes before the cross because without the resurrection, the cross is robbed of its power. Theologically speaking, the resurrection is the first point that gives meaning to Jesus' death. And so the key claim of the Christian faith is that Christ, that Jesus Christ was raised from the grave. Elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is probably the space in your Bible that you'll find uh, the most lengthy passage on the resurrection. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 14, God's word says this, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And Going on then from verse 17, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those, who also, those, sorry, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. And so Jesus was raised from the dead, the firstborn from among the dead. That is the key claim of the Christian gospel. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy says, Remember my gospel, Jesus Christ, son of David, raised from the dead. That if he's to say anything about Jesus, it's that he was the Messiah, that's what the son of David part means, and that he was raised from the dead. If we're to shrink it down, the resurrection is the core claim of the gospel. And without it, we're wasting our time this morning. I'm wasting my time preaching. You're wasting your time believing. It's a complete waste of time. If Jesus Christ was not raised bodily from the dead, the Christian faith is useless. But thankfully, the resurrection was a reality. Not in some, oh, in our hearts he still lives sense. Not in some... Uh, you know, imagination sense or philosophical abstract reasoning, the resurrection was a historical reality. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, the next verse from what I've already read, it says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Christ indeed has been raised. The resurrection is a reality. To go back to uh, a few verses of what uh, Miriam read for us this morning in verses 3 and 6 of, of 1 Corinthians 15, it says, For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance. This is kind of the, the most important thing that Paul passes on, this, this uh, truth that he has received. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is the Apostle Peter. Uh, Peter means rock. Cephas means rock in two different languages. And then to the twelve. That is Jesus' twelve disciples. 
After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of them who are still living, not now, but when he wrote this, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. That was his uh, biological brother through his, his mother, Mary. Then to all of the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. There he's talking about his encounter with the uh, resurrected, ascended Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so here Paul is talking about the eyewitness accounts of Jesus being raised from the dead. It was not just the claim of a crazy, deluded few. It was the claim of many people who knew Jesus closely, who would recognise who he was, who would have had in their interest to undermine this crazy idea that Jesus was raised from the dead unless it was true. His brother James, that is mentioned, was not a believer that his older brother was the Messiah, the Son of God, until the resurrection. The resurrection, seeing his brother, who had been buried, raised to life again, was the thing that changed his mind about who Jesus was. He had a vested interest in this story not being true, unless, in fact, it was true. It wasn't just the story of a crazy few. There was at one time, and we don't know, this is the only reference to it, we don't know exactly when this happened in Jesus' resurrected um, walking on earth period of time, but he appeared to 500 brothers and sisters at once. All of these people did not expect him to be raised. Yes, Jesus spoke about it, but the Gospels are clear that they didn't capture the understanding that Jesus said that he was going to be raised to new life until after it had actually happened. And then it says, and then they remembered that he said this was going to happen. It was completely outside of their understanding and expectation. <clears throat> the Gospels tell us that uh, the first witnesses uh, to Jesus' empty tomb and to his resurrection were women. Uh, and in the time and day that, that the Gospels were written, if you wanted people to believe a story uh, in this much more, you know, there's still uh, a journey to go, but in this much more uh, patronising, uh, man-dominated society, if you wanted to make up a story and have people believe it, you wouldn't have put the first eyewitness accounts with women. Because the belief at the time was that they weren't Reliable. The only reason to do that would be if that's actually what happened at that time. And the testimonies of these people were that Jesus was bodily raised from the dead. He spoke and they could hear. Yes, he was supernatural. He, he walked through locked doors and things like that, but he ate with them. He, he showed them the holes in his hands from his crucifixion. He was risen bodily from the dead. And so we can trust that Jesus was raised from the dead because of the eyewitness accounts. And as Paul said, many of them were still alive at the time of that writing. Many of them, if, if they were having testimonies put in their mind that weren't truly of them, they would have been able to say, hey, that's not true. I didn't say that. I didn't see Jesus. On top of that, we have an empty tomb. For the religious leaders... The entire reason that they wanted to crucify Jesus was to snuff out this movement of people that were beginning to build around him that threatened their status as religious leaders. It also threatened the, 
<coughs> the peace in uh, Jerusalem. And so the Roman political leaders over Jerusalem had in their vested interest to snuff out this Jesus movement that was happening. But at the claims of Jesus' resurrection, the movement didn't get snuffed out. It exploded. The thing they could have done, had there been a body, was to just simply present that, to snuff out the claims that Jesus had been risen from the dead. There were, in fact, no ancient rebuttals to this truth. In the tomb, the grave clothes were left. That is, the, the, the expensive linen cloth and the spices wrapped in them that Jesus was wrapped in. Had this been the act of a grave robber, had this been the act of a grave robber, that would have been the thing that they would have taken. They would have taken it all, ditched the body, scraped off the spices and herbs, and resold them and sold the cloth. The body was not what was valuable. On top of this, we have the martyrdom of almost every single one of the early witnesses to Jesus' resurrection been killed and refusing to deny that he rose from the dead. They didn't die for an abstract belief system. They didn't die around theology, so to speak. They, they died because their theology grew from the reality that they refused to deny that they had seen Jesus bodily risen from the dead. And when you think about who these people were, they weren't great men and women, historically speaking, in that sense, that, <coughs> pardon me, that were courageous before this moment. At the point of Jesus' arrest, they scattered and ran. Despite his bold claims, Peter did not live up to, I'll be with you to the end even if I die, claims. He was one of the first to run. Yet when they had seen Jesus risen from the dead, they refused to deny that, even to their own death. And also amongst the, the reasons we can trust the reality of the resurrection is the explosion of Christianity around Jerusalem, the very place that Jesus was crucified and buried, in a sceptical culture, a culture that was not predisposed to expect Jesus to be risen from the dead. In the midst of enormous opposition, only weeks after the crucifixion itself, thousands began to believe that Jesus was crucified and buried and rose from the grave. In that very space, it's not like this, you know, thousands of years later, oh, maybe he rose from the dead. This is people, many of them who would have seen and known Jesus who had been buried now believe that he rose from the dead. <coughs> this would have been very easy to refute at that time, to snuff out this movement. Something happened. And so we can trust in the reality of the resurrection, in the historicity of this moment, that Jesus rose from the dead. And so Christ has indeed been raised. But the scriptures in, in Colossians, Paul says that he's raised as the firstborn from among the dead. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about Jesus being the firstfruits. And so this is more than a miracle. Pardon me. 
This is more than a miracle of his own resurrection. This is more than just one person being raised from the dead. In fact, Jesus wasn't the first raised from the dead. We, we see in the Old Testament uh, resurrections. In that sense, people who had died been raised to life again. We see in Jesus' own ministry, Lazarus buried and raised to life by Jesus himself. And so Jesus wasn't, Jesus wasn't the first to come back to life in that sense, yet he's spoken of as the first, that me, the firstborn, the first fruits. This is more than a miracle of one person's resurrection. And so the first kind of idea we pick up from that is that this is the promise of our own resurrection. Jesus is not the first raised, but he's the first to conquer death for all. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20, where I've already read, it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then it goes on to say, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So Paul says, the scriptures say, just as Adam's choice to disobey God ushered in death for us all, the choice of Jesus Christ to obey God as God himself to die and the power of God at work in him to raise him to new life is the raising of all of us. All will be made alive. Christ is the first fruits. And when he comes again, when he returns, those who belong to him will be raised. This is what it means for Jesus to be the firstborn from among the dead. It's not that he was the first raised in that sense. Lazarus, we believe, died again. Everyone else who was raised was raised for more normal life. But Jesus has conquered death that, that when he comes again, we will be raised to eternal life like him. As those who have put our trust in Jesus, this is our hope. He will return and we will be raised. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13 onwards, it speaks about this moment. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that, you, so that you do not grieve like those, the rest of mankind, who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so these are words to encourage one another with, to remind each other that our hope is not just about this life, 
But our hope is about the life to come when Jesus returns. Some of us will likely die before he gets here, but, but they won't be left behind. They'll be raised up. In fact, they will get there first. But we won't miss out either if we're still alive when Jesus returns. We won't miss out either. We'll, be, we'll catch up with them in the sky. And ultimately, we'll all be with the Lord forever. This is our hope. Now, remember our dear brother, Colin, who was a part of this church family for many years, who has now since passed himself. But this is what he clung to because his wife sadly died many years before him, much to his grief. But this was his favourite passage of scripture. We talked about it often when I would meet with him and he was determined that this would be the, the scripture at his own funeral. His hope was that he would be with the Lord forever, but he would be caught up together with his wife, who was a believer herself, together in the sky. He, he was very grieved at the length of his waiting for this moment. But he was encouraged by these words that his hope wasn't for this life. In the midst of the decay of his body, in the midst of the grief of the loss of his life, he, he, he wasn't focusing on this life. He had this hope that he would be restored in relationship with his wife who'd gone before him and ultimately that they would be together with the Lord. And so this line, this odd little line that Paul has about Jesus, that he is the firstborn from among the dead, is our promise that it wasn't just him. It wasn't just a moment that, as, as amazing as it is, that Jesus conquered the grave, that he was raised from death to life. As amazing as that is in and of itself, it's just a promise of more. He's the firstborn, he's the first fruits. And so we cling to, like our brother Conan, like many others, we cling to that same hope. That the dead in Christ will rise. And that we will be caught up together with them. If we live till that day of his return, we will be united together with them and with Jesus. That is our hope. And so what? We are set free to give ourselves fully to Jesus in this life. Because this life is not all there is. We can be free from fear and anxiety for this life. We can trust him for this life because this is not all there is. At the end of that chapter 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about the implications, the so what of knowing that Jesus' resurrection is the promise of our own. It says in verse 53 to 58 about this moment. The perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where are death is your victory. Where are death is your sting. And so Paul is reflecting on this moment that, that those who are dead will be raised, that those who are alive will be transformed, that the perishable will give way to immortality. And then he says... 
Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? That's, that's what this happens, that death is still something that will come for those of us that are uh, not living till the day that Jesus returns. That will still be a reality for us, but the sting of it is gone because we know it is not the end. He goes on to say, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And here is the so what in Paul's words. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Because we have a hope beyond this life, we can stand firm in Jesus in this life. We don't need to seek out everything in this life to make this life all that there is, that, that we seek all the pleasure and joy and, and, and move away from all the, the trial and suffering and pain in this life. We can stand firm in what it means to be a follower of Jesus because in doing so we know that this life is not all there is. He's the firstborn from among the dead and we'll follow him. And so Jesus' resurrection is the promise of our own but... The scriptures also talk about the resurrection as something that we live in right now. It's a future promise, but it's also something we live in right now. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. It speaks about the, the resurrection being a now thing. And in many other places it does as well, but it says in, in chapter 2, verse 1 to 6 of Ephesians, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's talking about Satan in euphemistic terms, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath but because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive in with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions it is by grace you've been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus and, and so here Paul is talking about that resurrection he's saying that you were dead even though we walked around you know, breathing, our hearts beating, he's saying that we were dead in transgression and sin. And all of us used to live in that way. There's, there's no sense of us being the ones to judge others, but he's reminding us that apart from Jesus, we were dead. But he says he has raised you up with Christ Jesus. That, that the resurrection life is now. We used to be dead, but now we've been made alive in Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, reflecting on this idea, the Apostle Paul says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. The old is dead and gone. Just as Jesus was crucified on the cross 
and buried in a tomb. Our old life apart from Jesus, our, our life in sinful nature, our life in pursuing the desires of the flesh, our, our life under the curse of the law, deserving of God's wrath, has been buried just as Jesus was buried in the tomb. Dead and buried. But as we put our trust in Jesus, just as Jesus was raised from the tomb, we live a new life now. Yes, we wait for a resurrection that will be a, a physical reality, but we live a new life now. The resurrection has come. As we put our trust in Jesus, we live it and breathe it now. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, it's not the physical act of baptism that, that makes that a reality for us. It's the act of baptism that represents the reality that happens within us. If you've not been baptized, I really encourage you to do that because it, it is a demonstration of this truth that we have been buried and raised to life. Just as we go under the water and come out of the water, it's symbolic that we have been buried with Jesus and raised to new life now. So what? Well, the scripture points us towards the truth that we are transformed in this life by the resurrection through faith. That it is not merely something that we sit around and wait for. Yes, it is a hope that is to come that we wait for the resurrection in a physical reality when Jesus returns and takes us all home. But the so what of Jesus being the firstborn from among the dead also is the truth that we are transformed by the resurrection through faith in Jesus now. And so in Paul's words, the so what of this reality is in Romans chapter 6 verses 11 and onwards. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of your body to him, every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. <clears throat> for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace <clears throat> and so the apostle Paul says that we should consider ourselves dead now to sin dead now to all of the things of, of, of this life that are not of him but we should consider ourselves alive to him that, that we should have that attitude, though we await a physical resurrection, that we have the attitude that here and now I am not who I used to be. I'm a new person, a new creation in Jesus. Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. That's who he is. And what it means for us is that we have a hope of eternity spent together with the Lord, with those as well who have passed, whose faith was in Jesus. We have a new life here and now. He's the firstborn from among the dead. Or in Jesus' own words in John 11, verse 25 to 26. 
Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. And Jesus ends it with a question, do you believe this? And so I want to end with that question as well. Do you believe this? By that I mean two things. Have you put your trust in Jesus? Do you believe in him? Are you entering into that new life that is offered by him? Have you done that? Is your hope in the resurrection from the dead? Do you believe in this? And so if not, but you'd like to, I'd love, we're going to pray together and I just encourage you to say, Amen, to believe in your heart the prayer that I pray on behalf of us all. Um, But I'd also love to hear that you've made that decision to put your trust in Jesus afterwards. And so that's the kind of first sense of that meaning of that question, do you believe this? But secondly, sometimes I I think I walk around as a non-believing believer. And what I mean by that is I believe in Jesus, but, but I kind of forget about what my hope is really about and I get my eyes fixed on this life and not in the like this life resurrected now sense but in the things of this world. What I mean by that is I lose my sense of my ultimate hope and belief but in the resurrection in the age to come. I, I, I stray away from being like our brother Colin who was so fixed on his hope in the resurrection. So I want to ask you that question. Do you believe this? Is this the space in which your faith lives in a daily sense? Are you daily living in a sense of not just sitting around and waiting for Jesus to come back, but in in living with your eyes fixed on eternity, on the hope, the promise that Jesus will return? that those who are dead will be raised, that those who are alive will be joined together with them and we will live with the Lord forever. Do you believe this? Are you clinging to that hope? Because when we're clinging to that hope, it can only give us peace in the midst of the things of this life. So I want to invite you to pray with me this morning. And so if you're amongst us or joined us online this morning and you've never put your trust in Jesus, I just invite you to pray in your heart this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I'm amongst those that Paul spoke about in your word. that I've sought to satisfy the desires of the flesh, that I have sinned, that I've fallen short of you. And so I want to repent now and ask for your forgiveness in Jesus' name. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. Come and make me new in this life. 
come and fill me with the hope of the resurrection to come. Amen. For all of us, I pray, Father, that we wouldn't be unbelieving believers, that we wouldn't be those who have, yes, believed in you, but whose focus is so far away from the hope of the resurrection. I pray that you would restore in us a belief this morning, a confidence, a hope, not just in the resurrection of Jesus, but in the promise that it is for us. That He is the firstborn from among the dead. And as His brothers and sisters, we too will rise. Fill us with that hope and confidence this morning. Enable us to cling wholeheartedly to that hope and let go of our grip on the things of this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.